Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated, or burned out? Are you worried about your wellness? Are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals? If you answered yes to any or all of these, then this is the podcast for you. Dr. Charmaine Gregory, night shift emergency physician, burnout thriver, and wellness champion, along with everyday heroes just like you, will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously. Dr. Gregory here. Did you know that I'm on YouTube as well? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory, MD. See you there. There. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom fam. It is Dr. G, and we are back for another exciting episode of the Fearless Freedom with Dr. G podcast. Today, we have Joe Sherman with us, and he is going to tell us all about himself, what he's up to, and he's up to quite a bit. And then we're just going to keep jamming and talking. So let's make it, let's make it happen. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. G. Thank you for coming on. So you got to tell the audience who you are and what you're up to. Yeah. So, um, I'm a general pediatrician and I am in Seattle, Washington right now and spending most of my time coaching physicians and other healthcare workers in areas of well-being and life balance, as well as trying to avoid burnout, especially during this time of pandemic, uh, and working with others in facilitating retreats and reflection groups for people who are healthcare workers and facing a lot of stress in their work right now. That is much needed. Now, um, I know that there are lots of people who listen to this podcast who happen to be in our field, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there are also a lot of people who are in other fields where they're experiencing burnout. So this is applicable. But obviously, with the, um, with the impact of the pandemic, it, it definitely seems like you know, from our standpoint, this has been a huge, huge problem that we're facing. And maybe we weren't ready to face it. Maybe we weren't uh, thinking that we were in that space, but definitely talking to lots of colleagues who are in that space right now. So your services and your offerings are greatly appreciated. So you got to tell us, like, how do you um, like how, so you mentioned that you do uh, retreats. And you mentioned mm -hmm. that you have some other services. So how can, how can someone who is needing you get in contact with you? Sure. I have a, uh, a website, uh, joeshermanmd.com and all the information for the services that I offer, as well as how to get in touch with me is available through my website. And my uh, email is joe at joeshermanmd.com. And so it's easy to get in touch with me. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching for uh, healthcare providers, physicians, as well as nurse practitioners, physician assistants, nurses, everyone. Um, I also periodically uh, host retreats for physicians and healthcare providers 
in order to reflect a little bit more on who they are, how they got into this business to begin with, and how they've gotten into the situation that they find themselves often where they feel disillusioned and kind of confused about the mismatch between why they went into medicine in the first place and what they're doing presently in medicine. So sometimes working out some of those things individually or together in a group is a, a great way to try to um, determine what the next step might be in order to move forward in a more healthy way. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's great. And then I just want to clarify just so that uh, in case somebody is not seeing the show notes and they're like on the road, that Sherman is spelled S-H-E-R-M-A-N, right? So, Correct. you know, because, you know, can there can be some creative spelling. So I just want to make sure that everybody's aware that it's, you know, that's how you do it. And then Joe is J-O-E, of course. J-O-E, but um, right. yes. So awesome. You know, this is something that, uh, you know, always kind of curious. You know, ha- I'm, I'm somebody who went through burnout, had that whole experience, you know, many years ago. And, it, you know, it's anybody who's gone through something like that. And, or I hate to like make this analogy, but like anyone who has an addiction, for example, like alcoholics, et cetera. Um, and you have recovered from that thing, like it's still a daily decision, right? Like it's still like assessment every day. And then it's a daily decision as to what you're going to do based on that assessment. And so, you know, that experience for me, when I went through it, there wasn't really any resource. Like I was unaware of any resource and, you know, then what happened was I became a resource, right? And then I aligned myself with other people who are also resources. And then, you know, whatever, it, it, it evolved from there. And so, you know, now, thankfully, we have individuals who are focusing on this, which is very needed. And even with the amount of individuals that are currently focusing on it, we still probably don't have enough happening in this regard. And this pandemic just completely compounded that whole situation. So I appreciate what you do. I am grateful for what you do. And I want to say thank you because <laughs> I don't know if anybody <laughs> said thank you. So I want to say thank you because like I said, when I was going through my issue, like there was no assistance. Like I had to get myself out of it on my own and it was, it was rough. And so I am so grateful that now there are you know, there are items in place, there are people in place who are now able to assist colleagues and help them through this without them having to like, you know, fight tooth and nail to get out of it. So, you know, again, thank you. So now you got to tell us, how did you get into this? Right? Because we all have a backstory. There's always a reason why we do the things that we do to help other people. So how did you, how did you get into this? Well, I think, Like you say, I think most of us who are doing work and supporting healthcare workers and surviving burnout or trying to find more meaning in their work is because we struggle with the same thing. And I still do. Um, I still practice pediatrics. I fill in for a couple of friends of mine that are pediatricians. I've been in leadership positions in academic centers and community centers and all kinds of different settings overseas in Uganda and Bolivia. I've worked in many different places. And I find that interesting you bring up addiction. The word addiction is there is a culture, physician culture that teaches us that 
that we need to sacrifice ourselves, self-sacrifice, give of everything, always be there for the patient, always give up whatever else there is about your life because you're needed, you have to be there. And as a result of that, you get the satisfaction of, of the esteem of being a physician that people look up to and that you get that sense of reward that comes from helping other people. Um, so all those things are true, but the problem is that if that goes too far and we continue just to continue to work and work and work, and if we're working within systems and structures, which guide us a certain way and say, you have to do things this way because that's the way our system works. And that goes against our principles, morals, or the ways that we would like to practice medicine. Then we come into this uh, kind of a barrier, this kind of blockade. Some people call it moral distress, moral injury, where what we are called to do by employers or systems goes against what we really believe is the right thing to do. So a lot of physicians find themselves in that situation. I really found my calling in medicine when I lived in Bolivia and Uganda and worked there um, in both of those countries. And uh, the latest was in Bolivia for four years with my family living there. And I got a chance at that time to do some medicine, some teaching, some counseling, some community work. I got a chance to really use all of those gifts, skills, and, and activities that make me feel alive. And then I returned to the U.S. at a time where I worked in a busy academic health center in the uh, city of Seattle at a county hospital at a very busy um, uh, patient load. But that wasn't the problem. It was the system that I was working under. It didn't allow me to um, treat my colleagues as well as the patients the way that I would like to. And instead, I was distracted by administrative work, uh, computerized records, um, oh, yes. following up with all kinds of other things that really did not give me the satisfaction of the connection and relationships of why I went into medicine. So I had to stop. And that's why I'm doing this work now, but still doing a little clinical work in a setting that's more attuned to who I am. Wow. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it was, so you bring up a few things here. So this is interesting, right? So you mentioned that when you're in Bolivia, you were able to have a nice balance. It sounds like, cause you're able to participate in community life. So making a difference beyond the office. And then you're able to make a difference, you know, clinically as well. And then it sounds like you had a good balance for your family because your family was there. And so you probably had time to spend with your family. And so, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, when you're in a scenario like that, where you're able to kind of have like a, a 360 degree effect, it's really, really cool. Like you don't feel it. You don't feel like, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a burden. You know, why am I feeling like it's a burden when this was what I, you know, set out to do? I made, I made a decision to do, I made a promise to do. And then you go back into a situation where, you know, there are all of these obstacles that do not promote 
your well-being really um, and don't promote your ease of practice even right so if you look at the Stanford model, they talk about how there are three different parts to the burnout situation, right? There's the institutional part. So like your ease of practice. So if things are, if you're constantly dealing with obstacles as you are trying to deliver the care that your patients deserve, and that is making you, that's chipping away at your armor. That's making you less effective. That's making you less happy. And then if there's not a culture of wellness at your institution, that's a whole other animal, right? So then, you know, then you get to yourself and then your own personal resilience. And if you don't have the support, if you don't have the items in place, that's going to be injured as well. So it does make a difference, your practice environment. It does make a difference, you know, all of those things. And it's, it's amazing that you got a chance to see both sides. You got a chance to see, you know, have a practice in Bolivia for those years, those four years, and then to also be in the busy urban um, hospital in uh, Seattle. And so I can now identify with that because I practice at a very busy community academic center for 16 years, you know, and we did the whole thing, all that stuff, all the faculty stuff. And then now I am, you know, basically in, uh, you know, we don't have any residents or anything. So I am like on my own, you know, practicing in a community where I feel like how you felt when you were in Bolivia. Like I can get involved in the community here. I can, you know, I can make a difference in my patients' lives. It just is so different. And it's just mind blowing when you think about it, because you're like, well, why can't we have that? Why can't we have that across the board? Like it shouldn't be where um, we have to make a choice to like move 7,000 miles away in order to get that balance or to get that satisfaction back in the job. I don't know. I just think it's weird. (laughs) It is. It is. And I think that there are, there are several factors at play in this. And I think that there is a physician culture that we, uh, when we enter medical training, we're kind of initiated into. Many of us come into our medical training with all of the right intentions. We, we wanna help other people. Maybe we're academically stimulated by a certain field of medicine. Sometimes it's research. Sometimes it's, it's just primary care medicine, whatever it might be. But then we enter a system of training, which pretty much tells us you better do things this way, or you're not going to move on to the next step of your training, whether that be your next clinical rotation, your residency or whatever it is. So slowly, but surely a lot of who we are, the reasons why we entered the field to begin with may start to get hidden and covered over by the expectations that we're living up to that are thrust upon us by other people and the systems that we work under. And so one of the things that happens on the other side is that we start to work for a system that we think is the next logical step because that's what we were told. And we all of a sudden feel uncomfortable. We're not feeling ourselves. We're stressed out and anxious. And we very often don't understand why, because it all seemed like this was what we're supposed to do. 
And sometimes when I work with people individually, I have to stop and I say, okay, go back, go back way back before. Why did you do this? And what experiences have you had as a physician, whether it's in training later or whatever, or even outside of medicine, where you felt like, wow, this is really me. I really feel like myself. And I always say there's two questions to ask. When are you in an activity where you say either, gosh, I wish this would never end. I just love doing this. Or after it's over, say, I can't wait to get back to doing that again. How many things that you do in the course of a day, if you're a physician, clinically teaching, whatever, that you can look back and truly say those things. And what I say is like, okay, what are those things? If there are, if there aren't any, then you have to start wondering if you're in the right place. But if there are a few, then I start to say, okay, how can you amplify that? How can you grow those moments to take over all of those moments where you say, oh my God, I can't wait till this ends. Or God, I hope I never have to do that again and try to push those things out of the way. And sometimes it's the, I guess it's the empowerment that we can have to say, look, this is why I became a physician. And this is the direction I would like to head into. And whether it's the people that you work directly for, or someone that is a mentor, someone who actually is looking out for your well-being. And you say, how can I strategize to, to expand and amplify those life-giving activities? Sometimes it's not in the place where you are. Sometimes it is. And I try to work with, with clients either, like I say, in groups or individually to try to find those sweet spots where their soul meets the role. That's the key, is where they feel like the role that they're playing really is manifesting the soul inside of them. And that's my ultimate goal. Hey, it's Dr. G. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. I'm so honored to have you here with me. Did you know that I can help you to get your own podcast started? With my podcasting launch course for professionals, I walk you through everything you need to know about starting a podcast. I'm with you every step of the way from sign up to launching your show with five episodes ready to go. There's a done for you version that's also available. If you would just rather just do recordings and leave the behind the scenes work up to us, then that one is definitely for you. But either way, we've got your back here at Fearless Freedom with Dr. G. Oh, if you already have a show and you need production services, we have monthly plans available for you. So check out the links in the episode show notes for more information. Let's get back to the show. Love that. Where the soul meets the role. That is awesome. <laughs> now that's great. And then, um, 
You know, so this has been such a great conversation because it's such a relevant thing. And I'm hoping, actually, no, I'm not hoping. I know for a fact that those that are listening are getting some nuggets that they can utilize. Now, I have a question for you. Now, you know, we have to talk about fear on this show. Like this is the crux of the show, right? So, you know, we talked a little bit, we kind of talked around it, but like, let's just hear what you, like, what kind of fears did you have to face Mm, maybe the most logical one would be from like leaving your tenure in Bolivia to come back to the stateside. How was that? Like, what kind of fears did you face and how did you overcome them? Well, there's many of them. Probably the biggest fear that I faced is the one that I see in many people, which is this imposter syndrome. And I, you know, if I am the white gringo, older senior physician in Bolivia and working in a small town with indigenous folks who are my, who are my patients, I can feel very superior. I can feel like I really know everything about medicine and that I'm extremely helpful. Um, and yet at the same time, I was very humbled many times. I, my Spanish, I trip over and I, very often misdiagnose things. Uh, I remember thinking someone had a reaction to a to a insect bite, and it turned out to be Chagas disease. I never oh saw my gosh. Chagas disease. And <laughs> oh my so gosh! My Bolivian colleague, after I saw the patient the day before, um, and said, "Oh, just take some antihistamine, and you'll be fine." And the next day, he calls me in and says, "Hey, I want you to see a classic case of Chagas disease." And I walk in and there's that patient, the same one I saw the day before. And I went, oh no, I don't really know what I'm talking about. So returning back to the US after four years away and stepping into a busy clinic where all of these advances had been made that I really didn't know that much about, um, there was a sense that I had that, oh my gosh, everybody knows more than me. and they're going to find out that I really don't know anything. And that was a great fear. And I remember so well walking into a patient's room in its pediatric clinic. And I saw a a young child with her parent and the parent said, Oh, we're waiting for the results of a microarray test to come back. And I was the attending physician. I was the one who was supervising. And I kind of nodded my head inside going, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and um, and I came out of the room after saying, I'll be right back. Of and course, research attending physician, <laughs> Attending physician, I go back into the, you know, the provider room and there's a third year medical student. And I look over at the third year medical student And I say, come over here for a second, you know, and I am like, I don't know, 30 years his senior, I don't know. And I call him over and I say, I have a question to ask you. Um, And I said, and I said, can you tell me what a microarray is? And he looked at me with this scared look on his face. And I said, wait, before you answer, I want you to know something. I'm not asking this to find out, do you really know this? Because guess what I know? I'm asking this because I have no idea what it is. I just got back from Bolivia. I have no clue. And I'm learning myself. This electronic health record, 
I don't know how to use it. A microarray, I don't know what that means. Please help me. And the look of relief and excitement. Oh, yes. in oh his my eyes gosh. Yes. To He's sit like... down with me as his attending <laughs> and, and show you teach something. Me <laughs> yes. <laughs> what this, you know, DNA test was. And I've looked at him and I said, thank you so much because this mother just asked me and I had no idea. And now I can go in and I can have at least some clue about what I'm talking about. Um, so that was a way of humbly approaching someone who was already in fear of always being on the spot and saying, look, I suffer the same fears you do. I, every day I come in here and I look around at these other people wearing white coats and I think, oh my gosh, do I know as much as they do? Am I as good a doctor as they are? Um, questioning that all the time. And I think that that's something that many, many physicians find themselves in, even if they don't admit it inside, if you ask them, they're afraid that they're not matching up to the expectations of their colleagues or their patients. I attest to that. So I know that's true. <laughs> um, and so it's funny that you say this because I had almost the opposite experience because coming from, you know, just coming from mainland and coming here and then there being illnesses that, I mean, there are a lot of similar illnesses, but then there were like illnesses that I was unaware of that I was kind of like, oh, wow. Yes, please show me because <laughs> I have not seen this. I've read about this maybe like in med school and now I'm actually seeing a patient with this thing. It's like mind-blowing, exciting and scary at the same time. And so, no, I actually, I applaud you for being as humble as you are because I have found that yes, we all have that same fear and that imposter syndrome that plagues us, but not all of us are willing to ask for help. And I think that that's where the danger comes about because when we feel like we know everything and we don't ask for help, then that's when mistakes are made. That's when patients get injured. And it's just so much easier just to say, Hey, you know what? I haven't done one of these things in such a long time. Or, Hey, you know, can you just refresh me on this? Or can you show me where to go to refresh on this and just do that before entering the room or doing something on a patient, then pretending like, you know, and then you injure the patient. So I appreciate the fact that you were humble about it. And I know that you're patient appreciates it as well, even though they don't really know that you didn't know it. Cause it, I mean, you, you, you stepped out and you found out what you need to find out and you came back and you're able to have a conversation with them, which is essentially what, what they want, what they needed. So no, that was awesome. I Great think story. This is, I, <laughs> I relate to you the opposite way too, because I was in similar situations more so in Uganda where I was surrounded by all of these diseases that we have immunizations for, tetanus, measles, mumps, uh, malaria, and TB, and all of these things. And, and the residents there who had seen this not only during their medical careers, but during their lives, and I'd never seen it before. And they looked on me as the attending, especially someone who came from the US. It was kind of like, wow, this person really knows everything. And and I had to say to them, I have no clue as you're presenting this, what this would be. And, um, but it, we were able after a while, once, once the veil and all the armor kind of gets removed, 
then we can start to help each other out. And I said, you teach me about malaria and cerebral malaria and all of these things that I don't know anything about. And I'll teach you about child development and autism and all of these things that I might know about. And that way, um, maybe we can feel closer and have that relationship, which is really what we're looking for underneath anyway. And the, yeah, so I see that all the time. And now I'm also, I have to stay in those moments when I can be humble. And then there's other moments where I feel like I'm going to hold on to this white goat as best as I can, because, you know, um, and probably there are more times unconsciously when I do that than when I truly can say, I don't know, but it's, especially as a pediatrician, when parents come and they say, what do I do about this? Or what do I do about that? We say, as a pediatrician, the older I get and the more experienced I get, the less I claim to know. And it's because there are so many different ways of doing things. And I saw, I've seen them in my career where I learned one way of doing things and saying, this is the way that we have to do it. This is what you feed children at this age or whatever. And then if I wait long enough in my career, 10 years, 20 years later, it's like, you never do it that way. Are you kidding me? Where did you get that information? So, well, that's what I was told, you know, so it changes. And so you have to kind of put on this idea that I'm human too. I'm not a superhuman. I'm not infallible. Um, I need a break now and then. Um, and I need help now and then if I feel overwhelmed, like many of us have during the pandemic, I need to lean on somebody. I need to walk away. I need to show myself compassion for the times that I do not live up to my own expectations. And that's really what's needed at this time. Self-compassion and compassion from others who can say, we're going to stop making you heroes and we're going to start allowing you to be humans and to walk away, take a break. We're not going to expect for you to be miracle workers anymore. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, so much the truth. And I'm hoping that we get to that point. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Such a great conversation. Oh my gosh. You know, we have, we have explored quite a number of things and we have touched on several fears. So I appreciate you for sharing your story about the transition back. That was amazing. And um, we're at that point in the show now where we are going to do our fill in the blanks. So Dr. Sherman, are you ready? Ready? I'm ready. I'm going to try. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So the first one is, um, to me, fearless freedom means. Self-compassion and self-awareness. Awesome. Awesome. The next one is, if I am fearless, I will. Be able to be more myself authentically. Awesome. And then last but not least, my battle cry is. Speak your truth and be compassionate to yourself. Love 
it. Love it. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, so I appreciate you for taking time out to speak to me and speak to the Fearless Freedom Tribe. We appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. Just let the audience know one more time how they can reach you. Sure. Um, on the internet, just joeshermanmd.com. That's J-O-E-S-H-E-R-M-A-N.com. Or if you want to reach me by email, J-O-E at joeshermanmd.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much and have a fantastic, fantastic day. Thank you. You too, Dr. G. Thanks so much for having me.